Our passage today is from the book of Hebrews. We're going to do Hebrews 12, 1 to 2, and then uh, 20, uh, 18 to 24. Um, we'll see how these tie together. Um, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now verse 18. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet, and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Here ends the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Fathers, we come before you today. We look to Christ as this passage calls us to look to Christ. We pray that you would open our our minds and our hearts to understand better uh, what this means. I I pray your blessing on our time in your word. We pray that your spirit would uh, use his word. He spent all those years, 1,500 years writing, to continue to change us, mold us into the image of Christ, and to bring us even that one step closer to glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The... um, I appreciate you having me back. I had such a good time going through the Old Testament and the New Testament with you. I I had some good feedback from that. Um, I I appreciate that because this is where my heart is. What we're going to do today is look at an Old Testament passage and a New Testament passage that relates to it. I asked, though, I asked Carl and uh, Sam um, what would be a a good, um, what what they felt was the good topics for the, the church at this time. And one of the things they came up with, the primary thing, was perseverance during hard, uncomfortable, and inconvenient times. So that worked well because this was a passage that I was thinking of anyway. Um, and so we're going to look at how we persevere through difficult times. Now, as I researched this, because I didn't want to just pull the, one of my favorite passages out and one of my favorite topics of the Bible out, um, I went and looked at the passages that speak on, on perseverance or related perseverance. And there's two things that seem to be that seem to come out on a regular basis. Um, two main encouragements. One is that we look upward instead of looking at our current situation. Um, we look upward. We look beyond where we are right now. Uh, and the other one is we look inward. And this passage today actually has both of them. Uh, there's a couple passages that, that combine the two. Some have one or some have the other. So I this would be a good one uh, for us to look at. So we, we, the one thing is we're to look 
at, our, at Christ, that's the looking upward, and the other is to look inward. Look at the things that are kind of holding us back and, and the things that we're not doing right, the perspectives we're not having. We'll cover that the next time, if and when you guys have me back. So today, the rest of the time, we're going to look at Christ, and next time we'll look inward at ourselves. So, when we look at problems in general, there's usually the problems aren't the problem. Everybody has problems. And it's how we respond to those problems that sets us apart. I can look at a problem and have one reaction. You can have, look at the same problem and have another reaction. I think of my, uh, my, my friend Eric, who was a youth pastor at my other church, and we were talking about this, about how we can be sitting in traffic and one person can be in this, two people in, this, in, in two different cars in the same traffic you're, you're, you've been there for half an hour and you're fuming and can't wait I'm going to be late and, and you look over and some fool next to you is singing and having a good old time in traffic same event two different responses so the problem that really isn't the problem well actually what my my, uh, my friend said uh, what really clued him to what his bad reaction he thought he was handling it pretty well which when traffic finally started to move, his two-year-old daughter was in the car with them, or actually before they started to move, his two-year-old daughter said, come on, people, let's go, what's the holdup? And he realized that that's been his reaction every time he's in traffic. So, um, and that's a little preview of, of, of next week. But, but one of the things that holds us back is we, we have a perspective on problems that we think we're not supposed to have problems. But what makes us different than the, the world? What is it about Christians where we're often taught or told, not necessarily you guys, but there's a whole prosperity theology out there that says when you come to God, when you come to Christ, that's a guarantee you won't have problems. And if you do have problems, it's your fault that you have problems because you're doing something wrong. And sometimes that's the case. But a lot of times we have problems because we have problems. This is the world. Jesus doesn't ever say that we won't have problems. In fact, he pretty much promises we're going to have more problems than the world usually has. We're going to have persecution from the world. We're going to have hatred from the world. They're not going to like us. Much as you want to be liked, when you identify with God, identify with Christ, your problems are going to magnify. This, by the way, is the problem with the Hebrews, the, the, the writer to the, to the Hebrews. It's written to the Hebrews. Actually, they're Hebrew Christians, Jewish Christians who had, had come to faith in Christ through the teaching of the apostles and, 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 and the, the, the Christians around them, the, whether they're Jews or, or, or Gentiles. But for the most part, these are Jews that were in the diaspora that would, had been spread apart with the persecution. There was another uh, persecution around 40, 45 um, AD um, uh, against the Jews that kind of had, had spread them out. Meanwhile, the church has spread. The gospel has spread. And it has spread not just Jerusalem, but as Jesus promised Judea and Samaria to the uttermost part of the earth. And so the gospel catches up with these Jews who had been cast out of Jerusalem and Judea, somewhere in the diaspora, still left over from the time that the, the, uh, the Jews went, were, were taken captive uh, all the way to, um, to Persia, um, uh, under Nebuchadnezzar, um, this modern-day Iran. So they've spread all over the world, but the gospel has gone to them. And they've become Christians, and they've, they've, they've understood that they're, 
their Jewishness is now fulfilled in the Messiah who is Jewish himself. This is a fulfillment, not something added on. Then a problem comes up. The, the, uh, the, the, I'm pretty sure it's during the time of Nero, the, the Christians were persecuted. They were seen as those who were in opposition to uh, the, the, the Rome, to Rome, actually to, to the idea that uh, Caesar could be God. And they said, we have, we have no God but the true God. We have no God but Jesus. So the, the Romans started persecuting the Christians. They didn't persecute the Jews because the Jews weren't a threat at that time. So this is sometime before the fall of Jerusalem, before 67 um, AD. There's still the temple worship. There's still sacrifices going on. There, there's still a licensed religion. Uh, they're still allowed to worship. And so it was the easy thing to avoid their problems, to go back, to, to, excuse me, to not identify with Christ any longer, and to go back. And so the book of Hebrews is all about this. The book of Hebrews is all about how Christ is greater than Moses. Christ is better than going back. And there's warnings in there as well that if you go back, you think you're going back to something that's good, but you really have nothing left. And that's where we start with here. We, 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 well, actually, we're going to pick that up. But that's, we start with the fact that they've always gone through that. They always talk, com, compared Jesus to Moses, uh, the warnings about going back. And there's now an encouragement to move forward. To, to fi- the, the problems, you're going to face those problems. I mean, you have problems. You know you're going to have them. How do we deal with these problems? And he starts off, and he said, he says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. And we'll cover that next week. And he says, let us run with endurance. The race is set before us. So the first thing we do is we move forward by faith in God's plans. Why do we move forward? Because often we're looking backwards. We want to go backwards. That's the problem with the, the, the Hebrew Christians. They wanted to go back to what they had before. Something that was easier, something that was better. We do the same thing, don't we? We look back to where, to when we have problems, and and again, we're no different than the world, so we can take common things that we see. How about the person that, that gets married and then the marriage is difficult, and you start thinking, boy, it was, life was so, so much better when I was single, or when I was dating that other person, I didn't have these problems. And what what's the temptation is to to want to go back to escape. Or, or to, to when you have kids and how difficult things are, you look back and you, 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 sometimes you don't think about leaving, but you kind of check out. You let the other person handle it. Often we always we look back to, to where things we, we thought were better. We look back there, not here. And the other way we look backwards is when we, we come to some place in life, whether it's ministry or jobs or, or where we're living, and we think back to what we envisioned five, ten years ago, one year ago, it's not where we had envisioned. And we're disappointed and we're frustrated. And we start doubting ourselves and doubting God even. And this is why the encouragement to look forward. It's not that we don't look back on the things that God has done for us. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about looking forward and what Paul says, forgetting what lies behind. He's not talking about forgetting what God has done in our lives. He's talking about the things that hold us back, that that we think wrongly about. 
or that we, we want to control. That's what life is all about, right? Our lives is about control. I want to control the future, so I have to control the present to do that. But I can't control the present because it gets away from me. And I, I make all these plans, and it just doesn't work out. So for the Hebrew Christians, again, that meant going back to Judaism and temple worship. For us, that means going back in our minds or, going, or leaving our situation or, or trying to escape. And Paul says, no, I'm sorry, the writer of the Hebrews, it used to be thought it was Paul, so excuse me for, and forgive me for once in a while calling it Paul because it's very Pauline in his writing. This is a quick little overview. The book of Hebrews is apparently written by someone who traveled with Paul, who is an associate of Paul. Um, it's not, it's the, 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 the Greek, uh, the terminology is not the way Paul would write. So, and it talks about not being the first generation. It, it was, the writer of the Hebrews says, these things were told to us by those who heard, by those who heard Christ. This is the second or third generation. This is why you don't see the emphasis on miracles or anything, because that was done to, to uh, verify the gospel message. Now they're moving on. That's another thing to remember. We, we, when we first Christians, I remember this, it wasn't simple, it wasn't that everything you did when you were first Christian, everything was a miracle? It's just like, like, I, like I'm aware of God. I can remember driving around, I was like, I could not, not find a parking space after I became a Christian. It was one of those things. I was just, I, you know, up till then I couldn't find a parking space. But after that, I had no problem. Somebody riding with me, and I, they'd be, uh, oh, this is horrible. We'll never find a parking space. Ah, don't worry, I'm a Christian now. You know, we'll find a place, and they did. And God in His grace was probably having a good time um, with me until He, you know, kind of brought me back to reality. But it just seemed like everything worked so well, and people, were, you know, you shared your faith, and people were coming to faith, and then. And then you get later in life, and things just aren't the same. You don't have that same excitement. Say, like, what am I doing wrong? Well, no, we're, we're, the problem is we're, not, we're, we're stopping still and, and looking at our situation. We need to move forward. Let's lay aside every weight and run with endurance the race that is set before us. We're called to move forward by faith in God's plan for us. The thing about being Christians, the thing about the, 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 you know, the church the he- at the time when this is written, the, the Hebrew Christians, is we're supposed to look more beyond our circumstances. We're not supposed to be here in the here and now as much. We're supposed to, to understand that God is with us every step of the way. We're supposed to be more forward-minded than past-minded or present-minded. So call us not look back, not even look continue here, but move forward in life, recognizing that we are here and going there for a purpose. He says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Isn't that interesting? It's set before us. It's not something we have to worry about and, and be scared of. It's set before us in Christ. And that kind of echoes Paul, doesn't it? You can kind of see the echoes of Paul in the, in the writer of the Hebrews, where Paul said, um, One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to lie, what lies ahead. And then, of course, in Ephesians 2.10, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We should walk in them. He's got these things set out for us. We don't see them clearly. We sometimes have, a, have, have, have an idea of where he wants us to go. But, you know, God's, uh, man's mind plans his steps, but God directs his ways, the Old Testament tells us. There's plenty of, of encouragement in the, in the Old Testament that God is the one who has our future in his hands, and our job is to trust in the Lord with all our heart. Lean not on our understanding, in all ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. The idea there is that you're going to find yourself on the right path. The straight path didn't mean was straight in the, in the sense of 
going the the um, I guess it was in that case. It was to get you from here to there. It wasn't necessarily straight. It's going to be um, without any curves or problems, but it's the right path that you're, that you're on. And so that's what is encouraging us. Run that race with endurance. It's a race. It is. It's, 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 it's slogging. The idea of a race, it's not going to be easy. You're going to get tired. You're going to want to stop. You're going to quit. Take a break. And you do that, but you get up and move on again. The only time we look back is to see what Jesus did for you and continues to do for you. Look, verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. He's the starter and perfecter of your faith. This is where we look to Jesus in the present and the past and the future. Yes, we look back. What did he do for us? What has he done for us in the past? He's the one that brought you to faith. He's the one that's going to bring you to the perfection of your faith. That idea of of author, or author and, and, and perfecter is the idea that he both is the initiator, he, he, he came up with this great plan of salvation, brought us into it, he's going to continue to move us forward, finish us, and perfect us along the way. Now, all that is tied up in author and perfecter. So he's taking us through the past, present, and future burdens of life. The great picture we're to have in our minds is that of the psalm, Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. When Jesus said, I will be with you to the ends of the earth, he was talking as the great shepherd. It was the the comfort that, that we would have, no matter what it is, he would be with us. But he's also to be our example. It says, For the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. The joy set before him. The, 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 the writer is giving us a, a, a clue there that, that he had this, the same problems in life magnified about a bazillion times. He was going to be facing not just the, the, the wrath of his fellow man and anger and shame, the shame of the cross, he was going to lose his relationship with his own father, the, f- the father he had for all eternity. It was something that he, that he had never experienced and would be the, the, the worst terror of, of that anyone could have to be ripped away from the living God. And he did that for us, but he did that with joy, for the joy set before him. Not necessarily joyful all the time, but there was a joy that was coming in, in the future, and that's what we're to have. Tim Keller, about a year ago, found out that he had cancer, um, and um, I ran across this when I was looking in, it, in my Bible. My uh, we share my daughter and I uh, share a uh, a Bible program, and she had highlighted and, and wrote a note at this passage. And she said, when Tim Keller found out he had cancer, he wrote, running the race set before me with joy because Jesus ran an infinitely harder race with joy for me. So we look to Jesus in so many ways. The author perfect of our faith, we look at him as our example. We, we look to him and remember that he, as this passage points out, he, we remember what he's done for you. He came for you. He died for you. 
he went to heaven for you. He, he, he lives for you. He intercedes for you. You are not in this alone. You won't live or die alone. Oh, by the way, it says founder and perfecter of our faith. Astute Bible scholars would have noticed that. I call it our, your faith, but it's our faith. That's the other thing. We're not in this alone. I think the saddest thing that I ever experienced is, is, is reading about or watching um, someone die alone. I've had several situations where I've had to minister. I've been called to minister, not had to, I'm sorry. I've been privileged to minister. And that's non-Christians as well as Christians. And when they're dying alone, there's just no one's come. Or they're, they're going through the, through the hospital. And, and, it, and for some people, that's just their whole lives. They've been alone. And they go through these, think about this, how many people go through these kind of problems alone that, that not only don't have Christ, but they don't have each other. Christ has given us much more than just himself. He's given us himself in each other. That's why this is so important. You're not going through this alone. We, our faith is being perfected by God in us together. So that's another encouragement that he gives us there. Well, now let's go to the big picture. Let's go. The reason I jumped over the next section is because it really talks about more of the inward look. And we want to look at the outward look. So, so this week I want to take a passage of scripture that the, the, Old, the New Testament points us to a big event in the Old Testament and open it up just a little bit and see how it applies to us today. The writer looks backwards, by the way, to remind the Hebrews, the, the, the Jewish Christians, of what they really had. Their idea was I'll go back because it was safer and I can still do the temple sacrifices and still, I can basically get my hands on God. What's the other thing? They, they don't see Christ, but they can kind of feel and touch this thing. He looks back to the glory cloud at Mount Sinai. And I have, if you've got your bulletin, I had some inserts in there with a few of the other verses. Um, when I look at Exodus 19 and, and verse and 20, and instead of reading again the, the, the passage in, the, in Hebrews um, let's look at the actual event. So there's this. There, the people have come out of Egypt. This is uh, God has, has brought them out. He's taking them to where they're going to get the Ten Commandments. They're going to be kind of constituted as God's people. Um, God has made a promise that they would, uh, if, if they obeyed Him, uh, He would be their God. They would be His people. They'd be the people for His own possession. And so He brings them to the to the mountain where He's going to come in His glory. And we see this big scene. It says, On the morning of the third day where they were called to be assembled, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. And the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. <clears throat> and by the way, the people didn't, from what you can tell, didn't understand what the voice of God. They just knew it was this horrible, great voice that was scary. In fact, we see in verse uh, chapter 20, when the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning, the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us, lest we die. The writer of the Hebrews is 
pulling them back to this. They say, you want Judaism, you want the, the temple sacrifices. This is what started this. This is what you have to go back to. And, and to, to understand this, we understand that this was the presence of God coming down. We, we kind of get that. But this is what's called, in many, many cases, the glory presence of God. This is not the first time it's appeared in history, and it won't be the last time. This is the same... Well, the, the, this is the, the presence of God that was there, and I've got a, 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 <clears throat> below this in your, um, in your uh, verses, uh, there's a whole bunch of them listed. I'm not going to go through them. I'm just going to touch on a few of them. But this is the same thing, this presence of God that makes itself uh, uh, known from the beginning of creation to the end of creation. In Genesis 1-2 it says, and the, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep. The Spirit of God in the Old Testament was the throne room of God, the, the, the dwelling place of God. It's not the Spirit as we think of the Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit, but just as He is the one who makes God's dwelling in us possible, He made God's dwelling among people possible back then. So it's the Spirit of God hovering over the face of the deep. It's God ready to create. And we see it over and over again in the, in the Old Testament. Um, it was the, the cloud that led them by day and the the, the pillar of fire that led them by night. <clears throat> um, uh, it was the, the, the glory cloud that came down um, in Exodus 40 and, and filled the tabernacle uh, where the, the Holy of Holies was, the, 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 the temporary Holy of Holies, the, the Ark of the Covenant. Um, it's the same glory cloud that filled the temple when the temple was dedicated in 1 Kings 8 and 2 Chronicles 5. <clears throat> Um, it's that same glory that, that Ezekiel sees, he looks up into, and where he sees one, that, like a human being in the center of this great thing. It's the same whirlwind, it's actually a whirlwind, it's the same great storm wind that, that Job saw coming, Job 37 from a distance, and God speaks to him out of this. It's God's judgment in some cases, and it's God's loving presence in others. <clears throat> it was present at... Um, Jesus' transfiguration and, and Jesus' crucifixion, the cloud, the, 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 dark, the sky darkened um, for, for several hours. Um, it's the same glory that would appear to Jesus' uh, baptism, although the spirit was in the form of a dove at that point, uh, signifying peace and not, not anger or, or, or uh, um, judgment. And the revelation pretty much the whole book of Revelation, we're caught up into that same glory cloud. Three or four times in there, I've listed these. Uh, John talked about being in the Spirit, being caught up in the Spirit. The Spirit took him. It's that same event. And this is what he's driving them back to. But the difference for them was, and he's pointing to, is the, this appearance of God was a scary scene. It was meant to show God's judgment that if they did not keep the promises of God, or the, the, the laws of God, if they did not keep their promises to God, that this is the judgment that would befall them. They understood that. And that's what he's saying to the, the Hebrews, that to go back, this is all you have to go back to, because there is no true Judaism anymore that you think of. It's all fulfilled in Christ. True Judaism is Christianity fulfilled. And so as he says earlier in, in Exodus uh, um, or Hebrews 10, uh, he says if they go back to the sacrificial system, they're removed from Jesus' sacrifice, they only have the worst of the presence of God, and they only have a terrifying expectation of judgment. Well, how does that relate to us? 
Well, because where when we want to go back, we to where God isn't. We're going back apart from God's grace. We're trying to handle it on our own. We're trying to go back to something that isn't there. It was when we go back to the things in the past. It was it was the right place at the right time. Just as Exodus, the scene in Exodus at Mount Sinai was the right place for the right time for the Jews. But that time has passed. It's been fulfilled in Christ. It's time to move forward in Christ. It's time to move forward in God's plan for us. And so what does he say to them, to those who are staying around, to those who are, are not going to go back to this, 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 back to this fearful expectation of judgment? He Look at what he says where, where we are, where, where we actually are. He brings us into the glory presence of God back now in Hebrews 12. And we come to, we find the fulfillment. It's not just a peek into this. We are in this. He says, you come to Mount Zion, which is really the true Mount Zion. Mount Zion in, in, uh, in, in Israel, the, the mount where the, the temple was built, was always looking forward to a heavenly Mount Zion, a heavenly uh, temple. And he says, you come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, and, and now, instead of the angels, by the way, they never really saw the angels. The lightning was the angels, more than likely. You see other uh, experiences of God in the Old Testament, the, these great scenes, and you see <coughs> pardon me, <coughs> that, um, that, that the, there's, sometimes there's, there's angels zipping in and out of these clouds in, in the form of lightning. And in fact, uh, Psalm 104 uh, says, kind of gives us a big picture of that. And he says, um, O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays his beams, uh, the beams of his chambers, his dwelling place, on the waters. That's the upper waters, by the way, the, the, the clouds. He says, he makes the clouds his chariot. And this is the great you know, the, 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 the scene that, that uh, Job had seen and, and that we saw here, God coming down in Sinai. And he says, he rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds, his ministers a flaming fire. So what they thought was, was lightning and thunder was the sounds of heaven breaking forth. The, the smoke blowing up was the visible manifestation of the cloud. The wind rushing as that cloud was just swirling. And, and it just scary. And, and, and he says earlier, he calls this, the, rather the Hebrews calls it a tempest. It's a storm. He, he shows you where you're, you're, you're now seeing the angels in joyful assembly. This is not a something scary. This is something great to behold. He says, you're there. You're actually there. You have come. And what do we see there? We see Jesus, not just the Father, not just the city of God. We see the angels. We see Jesus. We see him, the the mediator of a new covenant. That's pointing out that we have a, a mediator now permanently for us, not a temporary mediator in Moses and the, 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 the constant offerings of bulls and goats that just reminded us, as Hebrews says, of, of that we, a constant reminder of sin. We have Jesus who's, who's constantly interceding for us. That's the vision we're to have. That's what we're supposed to look forward to. We don't look back to where we were. We don't just look forward um, so to kind of a goal, we look up. We're looking upward constantly to, to Jesus, our Savior, where He is for you, interceding, 
providing mercy, forgiveness, and grace instead of judgment. That's the idea of sprinkled blood. The sprinkled blood of Abel, what did that call out for? God told Cain what it called out for. It called out for vengeance. Thank you. It called out for vengeance. And it always called out for vengeance. It called out for God's vengeance on, on, on sinful mankind until Christ's blood. It's a better blood. It calls out for mercy. It's a better blood than the blood of Abel. It no longer calls for vengeance. You want to go back into the old system. The Old Testament is telling them, you're going back into the system of vengeance. You come to Christ and you're coming to mercy. You're coming to, to Him. So we're constantly looking upward to Jesus our Savior. Not just back, not just forward, but looking up where He is for you. But we're also looking at this picture is where you are for Him. Like I said, notice what we have here. It says, you have come. It's not just where you are, it's, or where He is, it's where you are. You're in Him. You're in the center of God's presence. That's the picture we're to have. This isn't something we're, we're, we're supposed to say, well, that was a nice look. This is a, a, a picture, we're, mental picture we're to carry around with us. The Scripture does this. Just as the, the Old Testament scene was supposed to remind them of who God was and all of His glory and all of His majesty and all of His judgment along with His mercy, they were supposed to always remember this. We're to remember this kind of scene of God. Where we, where, where we actually are. We're in the center of God's presence. It kind of reminds me of that little ditty. Um, I'm talking to some guys here that we I used to work Jungle Cruise years ago. And one of the things we used to do at the end of the, of the ride, we used to throw out little, little aphorisms, little, little funny little things. And there was one that came from... Um, well, it was actually, it's been around a while. It was uh, in uh, Buckaroo Banzai. But remember that statement? Wherever you are in life, or wherever you find yourself in life, there you are. Okay? Kind of a stupid little silly statement. Yeah. But it's not. It's not for Christians. Because wherever we are in life, there we are. We have Christ with us. We have, we have the angels in joyful assembly over over what God is doing in our lives. We have, we, have, we have them worshiping while we're worshiping. When we worship, we're joining them in worship. As much as they join us in worship, as Jesus comes and worships with us. Now, how is that possible? Well, there was one passage I passed over, there were the glory clouds. And hopefully, some of you guys thought about this. What happened on the day of Pentecost? When the Holy Spirit came down, there was a mighty rushing wind, right? Um, I don't know if I have... Yeah, so the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there was, came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. If God came down and glory filled this place, well, that's exactly what happened. It's the glory cloud of God coming down and showing that God is... In, in, in Christ is living with us. We're no, it's no longer God at a distance. It's God with us. The mighty rushing wind is the same sound they, they probably heard on Sinai. But the difference is here, the tongues of flames, instead of being lightning, or, or the, the, the fire billowing off the top, it's now resting on each of the, the people that were gathered together. Think back to Psalm 104. He makes, he makes lightning his, his... He makes, sorry, the... Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Um, 
Oh, there it is. Yeah. He makes a cosmic chariot. He rides in the wings of wind. Oh, he makes his messengers' winds, his ministers of flaming fire. Messengers was the term for angels. His angels were the winds and, 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 and ministers. So that they were the ones that were propelling this great thing. If you see in Ezekiel, the same thing. You'll see chariots and angels and big swirling thing. And that's us now. We're his messengers. We're his ministers. We're serving him here and there at the same time. Because he's there and here at the same time. So, constantly looking to where he is for you, where you are for him. So how do we look to Jesus? Well, obviously, Scripture. We do this, we keep this great picture in front of us. But we also remember that the, the, the things he's given us to constantly look to him. Scripture, like we've done today, prayer, worship, fellowship. Daily devotions is so important for this, this walk, by the way. It's helped me a lot, and, when, and it's really hurt me a lot when I haven't done it. Um, I encourage you daily devotions. But it's constantly, consciously looking to Jesus' promises. I will be with you always. And as example. We're called not to give up, but to give in. Not to check out, but to check in. Because in a sense, we are already there in Christ, just waiting for the glory to be revealed in us. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for these great images that you give us in Scripture. And not just images, but reality behind the images. Um, we pray that we would be a people that um, that do what you've called us to do here. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus in our memories, in our minds, in your word. Look to Jesus in the future. Look to Jesus um, in, our, in our our fellowships, uh, our, our, our worship, our, our, our times of, of, of corporate um, prayer, uh, Bible study, and the times we're just together with the Christians to... to and thank you for the reminder that you are always with us and you've put us here together to, to be an encouragement to each other as we go through this slog of life, this, this race we're to run with endurance. But we do pray, Lord, you always allow us to see Jesus, to look to Jesus, to find Jesus, um, and to, to remember that as much as um, he is here with us, we are there with him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.